And it is so good to be with you. I, I'm thankful that you have a, a stage that's carpeted. Uh, sometimes I'm at one that they've got the hardwood. And we bought 10 acres out in the country about two years ago. And we, we remodeled the whole thing. We tore up the carpet. We put down the luxury vinyl uh, plank flooring. And, and my four-year-old granddaughter last fall was over staying all night with us. And she was coloring. And I was getting a fire going in the fireplace. I had my cowboy boots. And I'm walking back and forth, put a log on the fire, come back. I'd go back. And, and every time I walked on that floor, it was clack, 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 making a lot of noise. And at one point, Emmy looked up, and she said, Papa, I like your high heels. <laughs> so we had to sit down and have a conversation. I, I just said, say cowboy boots. I, I did not want that to show up in show and tell. You know, my Papa wears high heels. But it is so good to be with you uh, today. I, I appreciate the church here so much and just being able to, to see in the last four years or so that I've had a connection uh, just the way God is using this place, uh, using the leaders, uh, using Craig uh, as, as your, your pastor. And I, I get to travel a lot. I'm gone about every weekend, and I, I see a lot of churches that are not healthy. And it just kind of breaks my heart. I think it breaks the heart of God when the body of Christ is not what the body of Christ is supposed to be. And so anytime I get the opportunity to, to hang out for a day or a weekend with a church that, in my opinion, is knocking it out of the park, is an encouragement to me. So thank you uh, for who you are and for your faithfulness. In 1995, I traveled to Congo, Africa for the first time. It was called Zaire back then. Uh, a few years later, they had a, a, a revolution kind of a civil war, and the, the name has changed the Democratic Republic of Congo, but I had never been to Africa before. I was on a mission board, and we're getting ready to make the trip, and my kids were young at that time. They were 12, 10, and 7, if I, if I remember right, and uh, I, I'd never been to Africa, and I knew that it would probably be a little bit more dangerous than going to Indiana, <laughs> and so the, the thought that something could happen to me Maybe I won't come back. Uh, that entered my mind. And so I, I wanted to spend some time with each of my kids and do some one-on-one. -on -one. And I, I didn't sit down with them and say, now, Daddy's going to Africa and he may not be coming back. I, I did not approach it that way. But I took them out to eat and I just spent some time with them and talked about important things. Tried to do it on a level that they could understand. And I didn't talk to them about cleaning up their rooms or uh, eating everything on their plate or doing their homework, talked about more important things. Just in case something happened, I wanted them to have a memory of a, a conversation with their dad, some, some final words, I guess you could say. And, and something could have happened because there were three of us that made the trip, and a week after we got back, one lady uh, had cerebral malaria and died. Uh, the other guy got malaria and was hospitalized, but he survived, and, and I didn't get sick, but it, it could have happened. Those final words, final words are important. And I hope we know this, but let me just do a little review. This book, this Bible, is the inspired word of God. It, it isn't man's opinions or man's stories. This is the, the word of God, and every paragraph, every sentence, Every word is important. There are lessons to be learned from, from every word, and especially I would highlight the words that are in red. 
the words of Jesus, we need to pay particular attention to them. And so that's what we're going to do uh, today as we're at Palm Sunday. Jesus is going to be hanging on the cross in our, our, our passage for, for today. And, and even hanging on the cross, he continues to teach. And we're going to look at his words today. So let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 23. And uh, if not, the, the words will be on the screen. Starting with verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. We read this passage. There was, uh, there was Jesus in the middle on a cross, and there was a, a thief on one side, a thief on the other side. And the one thief began to uh, kind of ridicule Jesus. Hey, if you are who you say you are, save yourself, and while you're at it, save us as well. And the other man rebuked him. He said, hey, we deserve this. You know, we're criminals. We're, we're getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turned his attention to Jesus with a very important request. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Let's just hit the pause button there for a minute. The disciples had followed Jesus for three years. They were with him day in and day out. For three years, they didn't understand the kingdom. They, they, they still didn't get it. They thought there was going to be an earthly kingdom. Here, this thief, we have no indication that he had even been with Jesus. And that there was something within him that caused him to ask that important question, hey, will you remember me? He didn't understand the kingdom, but he knew one thing, he didn't want to be forgotten. He wanted to be remembered, which leads us to Jesus' words that I want us to focus on today. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's consider a couple of lessons that we can learn from, from Jesus' response. Again, every word is important, and Jesus is hanging on the cross, and as he speaks these words to the, the, to, to the other person, to the thief that was hanging there, I believe there, there are lessons for us to learn today. First of all, we see a review of Jesus' purpose. We see a review of Jesus' purpose. Back in Luke 5, Jesus began calling his disciples, and one of the guys that he called was a guy named Levi. He was a tax collector. We, we know him as Matthew. And I'm not sure there's ever been a time in human history where tax collectors have been popular. I, I don't think People Magazine has ever had the head of the IRS as their person of the year. <laughs> but back in Jesus' day, they were hated because they, they, they were uh, representing the Roman government. They were traitors. They were collecting money from the Jewish people to, to give the Roman government. And they were also thieves because they would skim off the top. They would charge more, and they were getting wealthy. They, they were hated. And Jesus approached Levi. And I, I wonder with, if those who were with Jesus that day thought something good was about to happen. Because remember, they, they were thinking there was going to be an earthly kingdom. 
And the Messiah would set up this earthly kingdom, deliver them from the slavery, the, the bondage that, that Rome had over them. And I wonder if they thought that when Jesus walked up to the tax booth, he was going to walk up and just kick it over and say, the revolution begins today. If it was a movie like Braveheart, maybe he would kick it and say, freedom! But he didn't do that. He walked up looked at this tax collector, this hated person, and simply said, follow me. Which was an invitation for Levi to become a part of his group. Not the kind of man that most people would have included. Now let's stop here for a moment and think about what Jesus did, or maybe we ought to consider what Jesus did not do. He did not make a sign and picket or protest. He didn't organize a boycott. He didn't write an angry letter to the editor. He simply took a guy who was far from God and invited him to come hang out with him. And he loved him. And the man's life changed. I would suggest there is a lesson in there for the church today. You know, our our culture's a mess. I, I think we can agree on that. But instead of shaking angry fists and and letting everybody know what we don't like, maybe what we ought to do is start going to people and say, hey, can, can I hang out with you? You see, Jesus had this way. It's always amazed me that people who flocked to Jesus, and we're going to look at some of them here in a little while, they, they were the worst of the worst in the eyes of the culture. And we we don't ever get an idea that Jesus approved of their lifestyles, but he had a way of accepting them. And here's what Jesus did. He loved the sin out of people. He didn't guilt the sin out. He didn't shame the sin out. He didn't beat the sin out. He just loved the sin out of people, and they changed their lives. Sometimes today I'm afraid that we take the shortcut because it's hard to love people, isn't it? And so we think, well, maybe we can guilt, or maybe we can shame, or maybe we can beat Jesus looked at Levi and he said, hey, come follow me. And he changed. And we go on in our passage and we see that Levi did get up from the tax booth. He turned his back on his old way of life and he followed Jesus. And then we read that he had a a dinner party. He invited uh, Jesus and and other disciples uh, to the party. In, In verses 29 through 30 we read, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Levi wanted his friends to meet Jesus. And as a tax collector, who do you think his other friends would have been? Other tax collectors. Maybe some prostitutes. Maybe some petty thieves, scam artists. Maybe people who drank way too much. The lowest of the low in the eyes of of society, the lowest of the low in the eyes of the religious leaders especially would be be the ones who were gathered there. And the religious leaders took note. They asked, why does he hang out with sinners? Look at what Jesus said. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And in two sentences, Jesus basically says, here is my purpose. I've come to seek and save the lost. 
And that's the purpose that we see day in and day out for the next three years, to seek and save the lost, to take people who were living far from God and to welcome them into relationship with God and, and, and with the promise that they will live forever in the presence of God. That's how Jesus' ministry began, and we see that day in and day out for three years. It's what we see when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. And, and he told her at, at one point in the conversation, hey, go get your husband. And remember, remember what she said? I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right when you say that. In fact, you've had five, and the man you're with now isn't your husband. That sounds kind of brutal, doesn't it? But I don't think it was. Because when you read the rest of the passage, she went back to town, and she said to everybody, you've got to come see this guy who told me everything I've ever done. Don't you think everyone in town already knew everything she'd ever, ever done? That's why she was at the well by herself, more than likely. But here's what I believe. She had never heard or felt or experienced the kind of love that she felt from Jesus. That's what we see when Jesus saved the woman who was caught in the act of adultery from being stoned. It's what we see when Jesus stopped and he, 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 he spoke and he touched and he healed lepers. It's what we see when Jesus cast out demons. And when you fast forward three years, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, just moments before he dies, and the thief says, remember me. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. We see a constant theme from beginning, his first words to his last words, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Here's, here's what I, I read when I see Jesus saying, today you will be with me in paradise. My paraphrase of that would be, oh, my friend, remember you? You're why I came. You're why I'm here. It's all about seeking and saving the lost. That was Jesus' purpose. And an application for the church today is if we are the body of Christ, we need to make sure that Jesus' purpose is our purpose. That's who we are. That's why we're here, to seek and to save the lost. We see that review of Jesus' purpose in his words on the cross. We also see something else. We see a reminder of Jesus' promise. When we look at what he, he said to that, that man, he said, Jesus answered him, I tell, tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. My guess is if there's one verse that is the best known and the most loved verse that people would quote, it would be John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting, have eternal life. That was early on in Jesus' ministry. Jesus taught of that promise of eternal life. And then three years go by and he's having a meal with his disciples. And in John 14, he reminds them of that same promise. He says this in the first three verses. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Eternal life, my father's house, paradise. Jesus uses different words, but he, he gives this promise that if you follow me, 
you will have eternal life. And it isn't simply eternal life that matters most. There's, there's a, a common denominator, there's a connection between what Jesus said in, in uh, John 14 to his disciples and what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. In John 14, he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. To the thief on the cross, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And I would suggest that is the most important part of that promise. It's not just heaven. It's not just paradise. It's not just eternal life that we will be with Jesus. I read the words of a commentator one time that said, paradise is where God dwells with his people. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to heaven. How many are looking forward to heaven? And I'm looking forward to heaven. Have you ever wondered what heaven's going to be like? Can you picture heaven? You want me to tell you what I think heaven's going to be like? Thank you for that. But I really want to know. So if, I'm going to ask one more time. And you know, I grew up in the 70s. So when, when I ask, do you want to know what I think about heaven, how I picture heaven, whatever I'm going to say, you just say, right on, baby. Okay? <laughs> you want to hear what I think heaven's going to be like? Yeah. Okay. Here it is. I don't know. <laughs> Aren't you glad I'm here? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Craig, is that the best you could do, man? <laughs> Get us a smarter guy than that. I, I don't know for sure what heaven's going to be like. You can go to a, a Christian bookstore, and there are shelves filled with books about heaven, but we won't really know for sure until we're there. But here's some things that we do know. First, heaven will be a beautiful place. Heaven will be a beautiful place. When our uh, kids were little, the first time we stayed in a hotel that they could remember anyway, uh, just tell you what a big spender I am, uh, we stayed at a Motel 6. Because <laughs> back in the day, they kept a light on for you. And so we sat, stopped at a Motel 6 in Bloomington, Illinois, and uh, had a good deal. I thought, man, this is cheap. It's not costing us a lot of money. I put the key in the door, opened the door. I looked in, and I thought, oh, my wife is going to kill me. <laughs> because there were four walls and four different kinds of wallpaper. And it wasn't that they were accent walls. They did not match. And I thought, oh, this is going to be bad. And our, our son Matt was about three at the time, and he runs in and so excited to be in the hotel room. He goes, it's got two beds. It's got a TV. It's got a phone. He runs in the bathroom. He comes out and he goes, it's got soaps. He was so excited. We go down to the pool, and oh my, it looked like they put gallons of milk in the pool. It was all, it, it, it didn't look, I didn't know whether we should let the kids get in or not. You know, it, it looked terrible. That was our first hotel. A few months later, we were going to a, a convention called the North American Christian Convention that was being held in Louisville, Kentucky. And, and who's, who said that? Louisville? Did I say it right? Louisville? Yeah, you can always tell when someone doesn't, hadn't been in Kentucky. Louisville, Louisville, Louisville. And we're going to stay in the Executive Inn. It's a nice hotel. And on the way down, our kids were so excited because we're staying in a hotel. And here's what they would say. Does it have beds like the Motel 6? Does it have a TV like the Motel 6? 
Does it have a pool like the Motel 6? They couldn't picture anything better than the Motel 6. And I want to suggest that's the way it's going to be when it comes to describing and picturing heaven and when we get there. We tend to use words and pictures that we know to somehow try to describe the indescribable. Here's how it's described in Revelation 21. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Those are words that that let us know that this is going to be a beautiful place. But here's what I believe. That when we get to heaven, no matter how beautiful we think it's going to be, what we thought is going to be like the Motel 6 compared to what it's really going to be. It is going to be a beautiful place. Second, it's going to be a perfect place. Heaven will be a perfect place. We're going to have perfect bodies. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 puts it this way. Our our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will become like his glorious body. We'll have bodies, but they'll be perfect. No more hearing aids or glasses or arthritis or walkers or wheelchairs. No more diabetes or cancer or Alzheimer's. Heaven is going to be a perfect place. And what makes it, part of what makes it perfect is what's not going to be there. Revelation 21.4 says this, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Doesn't that sound great? Part of the reason heaven is going to be a perfect place is because of what will not be there. Here's the third thing. Heaven will be a permanent place. I, I love this life. And God has been good to me. Uh, Every time we sing the song, uh, you've been faithful. All my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. I I get tears in my eyes because I'm just reminded, God, you have been so good to me. I, I love life here. But one of the hardest things in this life, I believe one of the hardest words to say is the word goodbye. When we've moved, I've served four different churches over a 34-year period before starting work at Lincoln. And, and there are people who we love like family. And to say goodbye was hard. I've stood at countless cemeteries as we're saying goodbye, farewell to a friend, to a family member. It's hard to say goodbye. That first trip that I, I took to Kondo, Congo, we, we were in uh, Nairobi, Kenya for a few days before we went into Congo. Then we were in Nairobi for a couple of days after we got out, before we went home. And we stayed in a guest house, and there's high crime rate in Nairobi, and so they've got walls and fences around the guest houses. And there was a gatekeeper that would open the gate. He'd get a taxi for us if we wanted to go downtown. He'd open the gate and let us out. Then he'd open the gate and let us in. And that happened for a a day or two. And then the last day we were there, we came back from downtown, and uh, he wasn't at the gate. Another gatekeeper was there. And we walked up a little closer to the house, and he was up there, and he had a, a blanket on the sidewalk, and he had souvenirs. 
uh, wood carvings, paintings, jewelry, things like that. And I'd already bought everything I'd planned on bringing home, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking at what he had. And he came over to me and he said, do you have any clothes that you would trade for souvenirs? Because I want to go to school, but I need better clothes to go to school. So I went down to my, my room and I got shirts and pants and a pair of shoes out of my suitcase and I carried them up and we worked out a trade and he seemed happy, I was happy. And I went back down to my room and I put the, the souvenirs in my suitcase and I thought, I've got more clothes right here. And then when I get home, I got clothes in my closet. I got clothes in my dresser. Clothes in my dresser. I, I don't need all this. And so I grabbed pretty well everything I had and I went up and I said, hey, this isn't for trade. I, I want you to go to school. I hope this will help. So this is just a gift. And I gave him the old used clothes. And what, I wish I could describe the look on his face. I mean, there's this smile and this sparkle in his eyes that I can't describe. You, you would have thought that I gave him $20,000 instead of some used clothes. I can't describe adequately the look on his face, but I can describe how it made me feel. If Delta Airlines would have let me get away with it, I would have flown home in my boxer shorts because I would have given him the clothes off my back. It made me feel so good. The next day, we were leaving. We packed the suitcases in the taxi, and we're getting ready to take off, and he was not at the gate. It kind of broke my heart because I wanted to see him one more time. And we pull out of the gate, and we just started down the street, and I looked over to my left, and here he came running down a side street, and he's waving his arms saying, wait, wait, wait. And so I tapped the taxi driver. I said, stop, stop. And it was hot. We had the windows down. He comes running up, and he doesn't slow down. He just dives into the window, and he grabs both of my hands, and his eyes were sparkling. He had this big smile on his face. And I'll never forget his words. He said, if I don't see you again here, I'll see you in heaven. If I don't see you again here, I'll see you in heaven. My friends, that's what it's all about. He didn't have to tell me goodbye because it's not goodbye. It's simply see you later. And when we're at cemeteries and, and a family member, a, a friend, a believer dies, we don't have to say goodbye. We simply say see you later. But here's one of the great things about heaven. There will be no more goodbyes in heaven. There will be no more see you laters in heaven because heaven is a permanent place. We will be there eternally in the presence of God. Here's one more thing about heaven. Heaven will be a Jesus place. It will be wonderful to see the saints of old and our family and friends Sometimes when I talk to people, you know, the conversation turns to, uh, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? You know, who do you want to see first? And, you know, it can be mom or dad or grandma or grandpa. Or I want to sit down with Abraham and ask him, how did you have the faith to hold that knife up? And you were willing to sacrifice your son. Or I, I want to talk to, to Noah and, hey, what was it like building that boat? And there was no rain in sight and there's, there's no water in sight. I want to talk to Peter. What was it like when you started walking on water? There's all kinds of things we, we say. But here's what I believe. When we get to heaven... There'll be one face we'll want to see. One face, and that's the face of Jesus because we will know it's only because of him that we're here. 
C.S. Lewis once wrote that when we get to heaven, there'll be three things that amaze us. The first thing is, who isn't there? Look around and think, well, we're so-and-so. But we saw the outside, God saw the heart. He said, the second thing that will amaze us is, who is there? (laughs) Well, how'd they make it? But once again, we saw the outside, God saw the heart. But he said, here's the third thing that will truly amaze us, that we made it. Because no matter how good we think we might be here, we will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is only because of Jesus that we're there. That's what I love about this this, uh, response of the thief on the cross. Today, you will be with me. It's all about Jesus. My friends, it doesn't get any better than that. And that's who we are. And that's why we're here. And when we look at Jesus on the cross, when we look at him for the three years that he walked on this earth, and we look at who we are now, we are the body of Christ. That's who we are. That's why we're here. And the things that Jesus did when he walked on this earth, that's what we're all about. That's what we need to be doing. We are here to seek and save the lost. And we're here to bring hope to a a world that is pretty low on hope and let them know that the hope isn't just another meal or maybe a a doctor visit or a better house or a better car our hope is that one day we will be in heaven with Jesus that's who we are that's why we're here let's be faithful would you pray with me God I thank you for the life that we have here God, if that was all we had, then it would be worth everything that you have called us to do and everything that you have called us to be. God, it would be more than enough. But God, I think that that it doesn't end here. That one day we will be in heaven with you for all of eternity. And God, it doesn't get any better than that. So help us to be faithful. God, help us to be the church that you have called us to be. Help us to be the body of Christ. That when people see us, they don't just see us, they, they see you, and they're drawn to you. Father, I thank you that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and I pray that that would be our heart's desire and our life's commitment as well. For it's in his name that we pray, amen. amen.